I can tell you right now, my priorities are a lot lower than what a lot of people would think. Very stupid. <laughs> but as simple as having a freaking porta potty on every hole. Well, hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, cats, dogs, guinea pigs, etc. Welcome to the latest episode of the Bunkered Podcast in association with Callaway Golf. Thank you for your company and for your time. That is never taken for granted. I'm Michael McEwen. As I say, delighted that you are here with me. But one man who is not here with me is Bryce Ritchie. He's on holiday. Hence why we didn't do a pod last week, because he's got two weeks off. So, yeah, had quite a bit to do last week, which meant I was unable to do a podcast. Very sorry about that. But Bryce's place has been taken by a more than able deputy. For context... Consider Bryce the Dwight York in this conversation and this man, the Teddy Sheringham or Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, if you will. It's Bunkered Associate Editor Alex Perry. Hello and welcome. I'll take that. Absolutely. Happy with Fine that? with me, yeah. I've, I've, I've just spent the last couple of minutes wondering how many guinea pigs listen to this podcast. Quite a few. And it's probably, You'd be surprised. Probably all I'm going to think about for the next half an hour or so. <laughs> how are you doing, Mr. Perry? Are you well? I'm doing very well. I'm also not with you. You're also not with me, no. This is one of those experiments, you know, where I'm dialing you in because you're where? Near Leeds, basically, aren't you? I'm in South Yorkshire, yes. South Yorkshire. Is there, that, is, that's very specific. And I noticed this is something about Yorkshire because you don't hear people say, I'm in North Bedfordshire or I'm in East Devon. But when it comes to Yorkshire, it's quite territorial, is it not? Well, there's... There's West Yorkshire, North Yorkshire, South Yorkshire. They're three separate counties. And then there's East Riding of Yorkshire, which I'm not sure is a separate county, but it's a separate borough or so. It's very confusing. And then you get up to like Teesside and things and all those like Middlesbrough around that area. They all think they're Yorkshire, but they're not. They're Teesiders. It's all very confusing. I would, I would just, I would say to people, if you're interested in that sort of thing, go and look it up. But I am absolutely not getting involved in that. Count me out. <laughs> anyway, we have a lot to get through this week, Mr. Perry. As I say, some stuff from last week that we didn't cover by virtue of not doing a podcast. I should add that for those of you who are missing Bryce's back updates, one, it will resume next week when he's back. Two, I think I can probably fill in there a little bit because I've got a back issue and I'm not going to lie, it's... It's somewhat debilitating. It happened in the office last week. I was bending down to pick up some magazines and I'm sure there's like some HR way of standing up properly, but I didn't. And I tweaked a muscle in the base of my back and honest to God, it's been pinging at me relentlessly ever since. I'm I'm almost immobilised. It's not. It's something you, you notice when you get to our age. You and I are both, you're, you're close to 40, aren't you? I've mm-hmm. just turned 40. And it is something you notice over and over. I mean, I've, I've had some of the most embarrassing injuries over the last couple of years. And like, I, I didn't play golf for a couple of months at the start of this year because I was play fighting with my children and my son jumped on my wrist <laughs> and put me out of action for a couple of months. I mean, it's just so, like the stupidest things. And then you say to people, oh, why can't you come and play golf? Oh, because uh, you just try and come up with something like more cool. What's a cool way of hurting your wrist? <laughs> no, certainly not picking up magazines or play fighting with no. four-year-olds. It's funny because I've got this little scar in the corner of my right eye, which I got from playing football. It's a visible scar, but... I got it when I was stooping down. I was about 18, 19. I stooped down to, you know, 
flick a header on. I don't know why I was stupid. I could have just stuck a, a boot on it. But the opposition <laughs> player did try and stick a boot on it. I got there first. He connected with the side of my eye and it just sort of burst open. And, you know, I did the whole Teddy Butcher thing of wrapping up with bandages and the shirt was covered in blood. But I carried on because... Well, we'd paid for the hour for five asides and it was only five minutes in. <laughs> and at the end of it, the guys are like, yeah, you look a little bit pale. You should probably go and get that checked out. I needed six stitches. And long story short, I've got this cool battle wound that's like people say, oh, how did that happen? Ah, uh, yeah, you know, I was diving to header. It was yeah, just one of those things. A predator stud caught me, but, you know, I, I battled on. The Orkney Terry Butcher. The Orkney Terry Butcher. Oh. Yes, what that looks like, I wonder. But... Yeah, now it's like, so what's wrong with your back, Michael? Uh, I picked up a few too many copies at issue 201, so I probably won't play golf for the remainder of the year. It's just, you're, maybe you're right, maybe it's an age thing, but it's certainly not a cool thing. But anyway, enough of my ailments and back problems. Bryce will avail you of all of his, and no doubt give you a grass update as well when he's back next week. But until then, the serious business of golf. And Alex, let's start with the PGA Tour and the latest goings on there because there's quite a lot we have to cover first things first the schedule for 2024 has been released and it's a bit hmm a bit strange a number of things to take in you've had a, a proper look at it what do we need to know what are the big changes the big takeaways well i think the first thing we need to address is that these elevated slash dedicated events that we've been calling them for the last however many months have now got a name. They are going to be called the signature events, which is actually quite a golf term, isn't it? When you think of signature golf courses. Yeah. So it sort of fits quite nicely there, I think. I, I, I prefer it's a bit Marks and Spencer, to be fair. It is. But I think that's a good thing. And I think that's very golf, isn't it? I mean, <laughs> what would you what would you call them? Yeah, like, well, what else is there? Like, premier events i can't i can yeah. I, I was trying to think of something that would be like cool and and hip but i can't i, I just think that signature events is a very golf term it sort of seems to, to fit the narrative quite well yeah elevated just was never really it was it it's like yeah it's slightly better than other ones and like tier one tier two events probably to to covid yeah <laughs> horrible horrible throwback there oh geez i wonder why i bristled when i said that but now i know but yeah, it's a signature. It's all right. All right. Well, I, I tell you what, before before next week's pod, maybe it should just be a task for listeners to come up with a better name and to tweet us. And <laughs> maybe we'll read out so you can read out some of the some of the best. Don't slide um, into our okay, DMs so, though, because that can't be done anymore unless we're following you. Thanks, well, Elon. No, but email us no, if you want. Or just you know, tweet us publicly. No one's gonna mind. We're we're gonna stick with tweeting i've got absolutely no interest in, in interest in referring it to zeting or whatever they've decided <laughs> is that to what it is exit well it was it was zeet wasn't it x-e-e-t isn't is a is the new version of a tweet it surely it just makes more sense to call it exit i'll x you no it yeah. doesn't work is it zeet sounds a little bit like a, a fabric softener or some sort of detergent <laughs> so let's stick with twitter but either way just Get in touch with us if you've got a better idea for what we could call signature events, because frankly, it's it's a bit shit. So first of all, my favourite change from the PGA Tour schedule is that we're returning to a calendar year schedule. Good. Yeah. So it will start with the Century Tournament of Champions in January, which I think they might now just be calling the Century. Mm -hmm. Need to double check that. Uh, the usual 
season opener in Hawaii. And then it will end, of course, at the Tour Championship. And then there will be this, what they're calling the PJ Tour full series, where players who just missed out on the FedEx Cup playoffs can go and earn some more points to play their way into the following year's signature events and the, the bigger events. There's some very comprehensive explainers over on the Bunkered website. I'm not, if, if I sit here and read it all out and explain it all, it will just take up the entire podcast. So I, that's a very brief overview of what it is. So we've got these eight signature events, the Century, the Pebble Beach Pro-Am, the Genesis, the Arnold Farmer Invitational, the Heritage, the Wells Fargo, the Memorial, and the Travelers. Okay, so they're going to be the big signature events. Three of those, which are the player-hosted invitationals, so the Genesis, the AP, and the Memorial, will have halfway cuts. Nothing will change there in terms of the format. The others will not. And the field sizes are expected to be around the 70, 80 mark. So around half or less than half than what we would normally get in a given PGA Tour week. Now, the two big takeaways from this, I would say, first of all, they seem reasonably spread out through the year. The centuries in January, the travelers is at the end of June. So that's sort of, you're looking at one and a half of these events per month, basically, to use really, really butcher the maths around it. <laughs> but I think the two big takeaways for me are that players will not have to play in all of these. They're not contracted to play in every single one. So first, the first thing that jumps out at me looking at the schedule is that the Memorial and the Travelers are either side of the US Open. Mm. My first thing is, how many big names are playing the Travelers? If they go to the Memorial as not only as a signature event, but as perhaps to get their game in shape for the following week's US Open. None of those guys are playing the Travellers. And if they do, they're just showing up to plod around and, and earn, a, earn a few quid because they know there's no cut. They know they can show up, hack it round for four rounds and, and take a boatload of cash home. If anything's going to miss out and lose out, it's going to be the Travellers. So it's got this elevated status. But maybe that's a good thing. You know, if enough of those players who might usually have played in it don't want to play a third week in the row, especially after something as draining mentally and physically as the US Open, knowing that the Open's not far away, maybe that opens up the opportunity for guys further down the PGA Tour to come in, play the Travellers, well, and exactly. benefit from yeah. the huge prize money on offer. Exactly. So, great news for the rank and file. <laughs> not so much great news for the Travellers. I mean, if you're, if you're the Travellers, you must be looking at that and thinking, well, this isn't good. <laughs> you know, Shefflers and McElroys of the world aren't showing up. They're all heading over to Europe to get ready for the for the Open. <laughs> the other the other tournament, I think, which gets hurt. I mean, we've had this for the last few years now, haven't we? They're, the PJ Tour are really keen to get the Pebble Beach Pro-Am back to where it was, back to its former clambake glory. <laughs> and it was a tournament that was massively hurt in the last couple of years because the Saudi Invitational was put up against it. The Saudis were pumping loads of money to the players. So the DJs of the world, they all went over to play Saudi and the Pebble Beach Pro-Am was hurt massively. Now it's a signature event, but again, very much like with the Memorial and Travelers either side of the US Open, we've got the Pebble Beach Pro-Am and the Genesis either side of the Phoenix. Now, 
And to be clear, that's the Genesis Invitational at Riviera, not the Genesis Scottish Open, lest anyone think that Sorry, there's, yes, there's a distinction yes. there. The Genesis Invitational at Riviera and the Pebble Beach Pro-Am will be either side of the Phoenix Open. Now, my only assumption there is that the PGA Tour are looking at that and going, well, the Phoenix Open gets a decent field anyway, mm-hmm. and even if it doesn't, the people show up for that because you've got that, obviously, that incredible stadium hole with the big stands around it and everyone chucks their beer and it's a wonderful week to show up. So maybe they're looking at that and saying, well, the Phoenix Open is fine anyway. So it doesn't matter if we put these two signature events either side of it. And, you know, that's a great three-week run, isn't it? Pebble Beach and then Phoenix and then Riviera. That's a brilliant three-week run of PJ Tour events. So maybe they're just thinking, well, we'll, we'll bank on players going to show up to this anyway. But I think if I'm the Phoenix Open, I'm probably a little bit worried about that, I think. I think it's no secret that Jay Monaghan's not a massive fan of the type of fans that the Phoenix Open attracts. You know, he's gone on record in the past. Remember, it was not this year, but the the year before when all the beer was being thrown onto the greens and the play was being held up whilst they swept away the empty Michelob Ultra cans. You know, which seems like a, an appropriate thing to do, even with a full Michelob Ultra can is dispose of it. But, you know, the, the, Jay Monaghan didn't like that look. A lot of people complained about it, the usual suspects, like, no, this isn't golf. And I was slightly surprised that Monaghan at the time came out and pretty much said, yeah, you're right, it's not, I, I don't like it either. But he's beholden to the fact that it gets hundreds of thousands of people to go along and attend a golf tournament and gets millions of pairs of eyeballs watching it because of that very fact that it seems to have a lot of interest in it. I wonder just how sustainable it is, though, the long-term future of the event if it's not going to be a signature event and big names stop showing up. Yeah, well, that, that's the, some, some, if, if this continues to be the case with these two signature events either side of it, it will be interesting to see how that event is affected in the, in the next couple of years. But in terms of the fans, I mean, it's in a part of the world that it's golf crazy. I don't think you're ever going to have an issue with that. We see this. How many tournaments do you see where people are literally lining up against the gate before the sun even comes up? Just like racehorses almost <laughs> waiting for the traps to open or greyhounds or whatever. They're just waiting for it to open, aren't they? And then they all bolt to that stadium because they all want to be in there. Now, I am very much in the middle when it comes to this stadium hole. I'm not quite... I. It's a strange one because I want to be young and cool and say, oh, isn't it really cool that we have all this happening? But, but at I, the same time, you get injured by your children and so on. So Yeah, yeah. exactly. I, I have to draw the line at linging beer on the green. I think it's, I mean, come on, guys, just grow up. You wouldn't do a, a football match or an NFL match or a basketball game. You wouldn't be linging beers onto the court, would you? While you know LeBron's running around in front of you, you just wouldn't be slinging beers everywhere. So I draw the line at that. But I absolutely love what that hole does. Uh, in terms of bringing eyeballs on the PJ, PJ Tour, casual golf fans watch that tournament more than they will. More casual golf fans will watch that tournament than they will these other eight signature events. Without a doubt. arguably even the PGA, That's, like the US PGA Championship. Exactly. It, it, exactly. It, the, the Phoenix Open just has an appeal that most other golf events don't, and it comes not so much from the golf, but because of the spectacle that goes into it. So interesting. And the I mean, players love it. To, the players love it. I think for mo- the most part they do. Yeah, I think it's horses for courses as everything is. Some players prefer the course, some players don't. But I think there's no- nothing to suggest that just because something's not a signature event next year, that it won't be a signature event the following year. It, the PGA sure. Tour seems to be open to the idea of 
well, one year's your turn, then the next year it's somebody else's turn. And again, that'll be really interesting to see when, you know, that, that, that's probably a conversation for this podcast uh, this time next year. Mm, yeah. And it will be interesting to see how they, how they work that. And the, you know, the Phoenix is a tournament that could comfortably be uh, a signature event and no one would bat an eyelid about mm. it. Yeah. Are there any on that list that you're thinking, oh, I'm a bit surprised about that? I'm always surprised when I see the travelers get that sort of elevated status. I mean, it was a surprise this year. It's a surprise next year. I, I don't really understand it. You know, it felt like it was one of those events that, oh my goodness, Rory's playing it. That was a big story that Rory mm. chose to play the travellers of all the events he could play. So, yeah, it's, it doesn't strike me as a, a particularly big deal. It seems like an event they're trying to make a big deal. Why? Don't know. I don't think of the travellers in the, the same league as Bay Hill or Pebble Beach or the Memorial, even Phoenix Open. It's it feels like that's the odd one out, but you know, the PGA Tour seem to love it. I think also we should note that the WGCs are now gone. Yeah, that's they're just completely gone. I think that was probably for the best. I enjoyed watching them for the most part, but did they make me tune in any more than any other PGA Tour event? No. It Would felt like they became really them? important when Tiger was winning them all, and yeah, you know, Tiger's exactly. success yeah. made them a big deal. But when DJ completed the Grand Slam of WGC wins, even he didn't know he'd done it. And I don't think anyone really cared. <laughs> so, yeah, an example of something the PGA Tour tried, but, you know, no longer has a place or relevance in the game going forward. I'll miss the match play. I'll miss that. Yeah, 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 exactly. That That's the one big loss, isn't it? The fact that there's no match play, but... Yeah, just a, a sign of where the PGA Tour's at. For me, the, the I think the single biggest takeaway of it all, Alex, is that the FedEx Cup winner next year is going to get $25 million in a big bonus balloon payment. This year, wow. it's exactly this year, it's $18 million. When Tiger won the very first one in 2007, I think he got $10 million. I mean, it's no secret the PGA Tour likes to give away lots of cash and, frankly, money for nothing. But $25 million, it begs two questions. One, what's the ceiling on this? And two, where are they getting the money? I think to the point of the latter, we can draw a fairly swift and easy conclusion. <laughs> yeah, I think we, we should get Phil Mickelson involved in this, in this discussion. <laughs> um, the For me, I see, I, I look at this very differently to how other people look at it. I think it's really easy to go, oh, 25 million for winning your one event is, is is ridiculous but it's not really one event is it it's, it's 25 million for being the best player over the course of the season it's very difficult to talk about athletes and prize money and career money now and salaries in 2023 simply because and golf will know this as much as anyone obviously it's happening in football now because the Saudi Arabians have skewed everything with the amount of money that they're pumping into these sports now, it's that age-old argument, isn't it, about footballers getting paid too much. But I I like to look at this com and compare it to other sports. So the, the FedEx Cup this year, the, the, the final bonus of 18 million, as you say, is likely to be won by Scotty Scheffler or John Rahm. Now, they've won 19 and $16 million, respectively, already this year. When you compare that to the top players in other sports, that's nothing. You look at the top NFL players. So I looked up this this morning and I had a guess at it and I wasn't too far away. How much do you think, and this is from NFL.com, so it's 
absolutely bang on the money. So how much do you think the highest paid NFL player is getting paid this year for one year? So I think I'm right in saying that the new highest paid player is now Justin Herbert, the quarterback Correct. for the San Diego Chargers. And yep, LA Chargers. Yep. LA Chargers, sorry, old habits. And oh, I have absolutely no idea, but it's got to be in the hundreds of millions. His, it'll be a certain amount guaranteed over a period of time and then it'll reduce. So you'll get like a signing fee and then blah, blah, blah. But it must be yeah, so, 500 million. I don't know. So I'm not, yeah, I, I'm not going to go into the intricate details of the contract, but he has agreed a five year deal, 262 million. So that's 52 million a year. Now he's pretty much got whatever happens to him. I, look, again, I'm not going to go into the details of his contract, but if he gets injured or his career ends, halfway through that contract or something it's guaranteed he's still going to make yeah he is still going to make all that yeah. money he is still going to make a ludicrous amount of money and it dwarfs what these guys are earning on the PGA Tour the the PGA Tour average this year is just shy of 2 million so the average PGA Tour player in 2023 is going to make just shy of 2 million the average Premier League player is going to make 3 million the average NFL player the average NBA player are going to make around 2 million as well Mm-hmm. similar to PJ Tour. That's just the average player. But we're talking about the guys at the top. So Justin Herbert, for example, and number two, which is Lamar Jackson of the Baltimore Ravens, who's actually only just shy at 52 million. Number three, Jalen Hurts, Philadelphia Eagles, 51 million. Must be Patrick Mahomes next, does it? Patrick Mahomes is seven at 45 <laughs> million. Seven? So we've got three players making 50 million plus in a year. Now, mm. Scheffler and Ram, as I said, 19 and 16, respectively, this year. Let's say they make that. Let's say Scheffler wins uh, and he goes up. He's going to push close to 50 million if he wins the the FedEx Cup, has a couple of nice weeks in in the playoffs, and then wins the wins the bonus. Now, how how can possibly people be getting angry about how much these PGA Tour players are making when you just look at how much, say, Cristiano Ronaldo is making or the aforementioned NFL players? It's just the money that's elsewhere in sport is dwarfing it. And, and like I said, these guys are guaranteed this money because they're contracted. John Rahm gets injured tomorrow and can never play again. He doesn't make any more money playing golf. Yeah. He's already made the money he can make. I, I get that. I, but I think to your, your point earlier on about the money going to the best player over the course of the season, but it's not. I mean, that's the ideal scenario. That's the perfect scenario. But the FedEx Cup playoffs is skewed in such a way that that seldom happens you know you win one event I mean, all about the points reset and then the redistribution of points basically anyone in the top 70 that is qualified for the playoffs theoretically has a chance to win the fedex cup that's not right because i mean there are clear the standings are clear at the moment in terms of who's won all the way through to 70 i get that they adjust it and they they fiddle with it to try and make it compelling all the way through and so that the guy that's qualified in 70th place can still win it. They're, they're manufacturing drama, but what they're also doing is undermining their own competition of or undermining the, the idea that this is a year-long competition. It's not. It's 11 months of playing your best to get into the top 70 and then a month of hoping that you hit a purple patch or maintain a purple patch and you get paid a huge amount at the end of it. Yeah, you're right. I, it's, it is skewed towards players that perhaps don't deserve it. But even if Tyrrell Hatton has an incredible month 
he's still, again, I, I don't want to keep bleating back to it, but if Chilwell Hatton wins that 18 million at the end of, well, when will it be, end of August, he, he is still nowhere near earning the same amount of money as, as other athletes. I, I, I'm, I'm just going to say again, golfers are underpaid. Whoa. There you go. There's my headline. Oh, somewhere, somewhere Phil Mickelson is twitching and nodding his head vigorously <laughs> in agreement. Interesting. Interesting. The 25 million thing just doesn't sit particularly well with me. And I think what, what aggravates me is just the fact that these guys are getting... It's, it's, it's made up money, isn't it? It's like, well, what numbers are going to be this year? So let's throw sure. another 5 million on. And it just, it feels so flippant and egregious. And it, yeah, for me, it, the fact that it comes against a, or against a backdrop of people struggling financially, the fans struggling financially and being asked to pay more for subscriptions to TV networks to watch these players play golf or to pay for tickets to go and attend and watch these players in person. That's the bit that really gets me, is the fact that we're putting way more money, yet again, in the pockets of multimillionaires for whom it's going to make absolutely zero difference. But what could they do with that well, again, $25 million? That's an argument across all sports, isn't it? I mean, mm. you think about how much we have to pay for... If you want Premier League, if you want Champions League, and you want non-league, you've got to pay for three separate subscriptions for television. So, and you know, football players in this country are getting richer and richer and richer, and it is ludicrous. That's this is an entirely separate argument. I'm just I'm just really trying to point out that when you when we talk about the ludicrous amount of money going into golf, and it is a ludicrous amount of money, when you look at other sports, actually, I, I think there could be more that's done. Um, I, I and I I definitely agree with your point that. That it needs to be a system that the highest paid player at the end of the year is the player that has been the best player for the calendar year or for the season. Absolutely. There's, there's no, it would be absurd if, if a Premier League team won the, won the league, but the team that finished in 10th got the most money. That, yeah. was, that would, yeah, no, exactly. no, everyone would be very confused by that. But Americans love playoffs, don't they? Well, exactly. Anyway, look, money, we'll leave that there for now, but. It's, it's an interesting time for the PGA Tour. Obviously, Tiger, we've noticed, has taken on more of a role. He's been appointed to, what is it, player director or something like that. Basically, they're giving him much more of an involvement in the day-to-day and the behind-the-scenes running of the PGA Tour. Then we've got this anti-rollback stance that Jay Monaghan came out with last week or week before very much against what the, the RNA and USGA are proposing, as are the, all the other PGAs of the world, by the way, more recently. They seem to be against it too. But the PGA Tour kind of putting itself out a bit on a, an island at the moment. And it feels to me, I don't know if you agree, Alex, but it's like Jay Monaghan has been really weakened. His position and his power has been really weakened by the, the deal he did with the PIF behind the, the players' backs. And... He recognises that and he realises he's probably on a bit of a an unsteady footing. He's on a sticky wicket and in order to protect himself and ensure that he continues to be the, the commissioner or whatever it is he has ambitions of being, it's like he's caving to every single player demand at the moment. That's surely two things. One, not healthy and two, not sustainable. Well, it isn't either of those things, is it? But this is a man who is desperately clinging on to presumably the power and the amount of money he stands to make by being 
the force that he is in the PJ Tour Saudi deal. Now, I don't know whether he thinks, I don't want to use the phrase dead man walking because it doesn't really feel, <laughs> feel quite <laughs> suitable. But he's, in terms of his career, it certainly feels like that, doesn't it? And he's, if, if I'm in his position, and I don't envy his position at all, but he, he must just be thinking at this point, do you know what? I can make an absolute shed load of money out of this if I side with the Saudis. And then once that this, once it's all blown over and I perhaps lost my job, it won't matter because I'll have so much money, I won't even know what to do with it. So maybe that's one way of looking at it. The other way of looking at it, of course, as you say, is that he is just bowing to the pressure of the players, which I think he sort of has to do. When this whole PJ Tour Saudi thing came out, you know, I wrote a piece saying, his biggest issue now is winning back the trust of the players. And it doesn't necessarily seem that that's happening. In the last few weeks, we've had Xander Schofle said he has tough questions to answer. And Scotty Scheffler said there's a lack of clarity, which is worrisome, which is a, a, a word that a 27-year-old should not be using. But he's not 27, and... Scotty Scheffler. That's the big scandal that still has to come out. <laughs> one day, one day we'll all realise and come to terms with the fact that Scotty Scheffler is a 40-year-old man. Let's see the birth he's certificate. The PG, he's the PGA Tours over Femi Martin. <laughs> and then we had, and we had uh, Jordan Spieth came out. Jordan Spieth was asked, you know, uh, does he do the players have trust issues with Monaghan? And he said, yeah, quite a bit. And he knows it. I mean, this is very telling stuff. He has ultimately got the backing, though, of Tiger Woods when he was put into this players director role. And I, I, this was a move that had to happen. I mean, with the exception of Rory McIlroy, the other player directors are Patrick Cantlay, Charlie Hoffman, Peter Malnati and Webb Simpson. I mean, no one's bowing to the pressure of those guys. No, like, no disrespect to those five players. If Peter Malnati comes bursting into Jay Monaghan's office, Jay Monaghan's just going to say, Peter, get out of my face. I've got more things, <laughs> things to worry about. If Tiger Woods bursts into his office, it's a different story yeah. altogether. Now, we all, we've, we've talked at length about Rory McIlroy's role as the PJ Tour mouthpiece in the last year, but I think ultimately... The most important thing is, is this now means that of a 12-seat policy board, six of them are now occupied by PGA Tour players, two of whom are the biggest, two biggest PGA Tour players, or two most mm. influential PGA Tour players of all time. And that is huge. Now, whether or not Tiger just thought, do you know what? I'm not playing enough golf. I'm not playing any golf. I'm recovering from injury. I've got nothing else to do. I'm absolutely tired of the shit that I'm seeing going on at the PGA Tour, I'm going to go in and sort that out. That'd be really interesting. I don't think Tiger's actually, apart from his press release at the start, I don't think he's actually spoken about it, has he? Not so one thing, nope. It will be really interesting if someone gets hold of him and actually sits down and talks to him about that. But what does he do? How does he deal with it? That's the next big question. And it, it's going to be really interesting to see. I'm, I'm genuinely fascinated to know what the, the role that Woods is going to play going forward and whether or not he sees his future as a commissioner himself, it would certainly make sense. Does it though? But, do, you think that, do you think that Tiger Woods has that in him? Do you think he cares enough? Because I'm frankly surprised that he's taken this job. <laughs> For a guy that has tried to avoid any sort of political 
interference in his career and has resisted as much as possible saying anything of any note, controversial or otherwise, to suddenly put himself in this position seems completely bizarre. No, uh, I'm going to have to disagree, Pete. Tiger Woods has been the number one talking point since 1996 on the PGA Tour. He has been the, if you, anything, whether you're Googling it or talking about it with your mates, Every single conversation will come back to Tiger Woods at some point, and you have to assume that that will eventually phase out. So Tiger Woods needs a way of keeping himself relevant, and whether he sees that in a in an administrative role, whether that's the commissioner or whatever, or just being on the board. I mean, if you read his quotes from that from that first press release, you know he's coming out and he's. First of all, he's backing Jay Monaghan, which is a very <laughs> sly move, I think. I think that's quite sneaky of him to do that. He's certainly not going to come out and start slating him, but it sort of feels like, I'm going to come in, I'm going to back Monaghan, I'm going to pretend that everything's fine, and then we'll have rid of him in the next year. Mm-hmm. I would love to know his views on the whole PIF Saudi thing. I would absolutely... To be a fly on the wall when Monaghan and Tiger were sat talking about that would be oh. unbelievable. I can, and, and it will come out eventually. Someone will ask him about it and he will not be able to resist. Whether that's after Monaghan's gone, I don't know, probably. Mm-hmm. It, it does feel my, like Monaghan is, for all the support that he's got from Tiger Woods and from Rory McIlroy and from a, a handful of other players. And, and let's face it, well. yeah, exactly. And let's face it, they are, they're saying, yeah, okay, it's fine. He's got our support. Because he's bowing to them and giving them everything that they want. Exactly. My my yep. my goodness, if I give my daughter absolutely every treat that she wants, I'm going to be the greatest daddy ever for the rest of time. But as soon as I stop giving her, you know, a donut or whatever it might be, or pancakes for breakfast, and suddenly I resist and say, hang on, that's enough, then she's going to turn on me. It's going to be exactly the same here. You know, the players are loving it just now because they're getting everything they want, no questions asked, because they've got the guy over a barrel. What's interesting is that his, Monaghan's that is, his other execs have had enough. Randall Stevenson quit the board a few weeks ago and just this week, Andy Pazdar, who's been part of the PGA Tour's governance for over 30 years in various roles, a very influential very significant figure on the PGA Tour. He quit just the other day, two days before the start of the FedEx Cup playoffs. Well, there's, there's no smoke without fire, is there? Correct. It's, so it's, it's very suspicious. My, my point is, is Jay Monaghan basically presiding over the, not the slow death of the PGA Tour, the PGA Tour will exist, but is he massively undermining it? Is he doing damage that's going to be hard to undo simply because he's so craven to power? Well, I can't argue with that at all. Um, I'm still... <laughs> that is absolutely, by the way, that's absolutely the first time anyone has ever compared the PGA Tour administration to giving a five-year-old <laughs> a donut. Um, it's pretty apt though, isn't it? Let's be honest. As analogies go... <laughs> it's absolutely wonderful. It, yeah, there's a lot of suspicion, isn't there? I mean, Pazda was central in this PIF Saudi deal. He was appointed to the Player Benefit Programme Committee to compensate members who didn't join Live Golf and that whole argument. So for him to resign two days before the first of the FedEx Cup playoffs, it's very suspicious. Mm -hmm. 
And especially, and, and, and Monaghan's just come back from some time out through illness himself. We still don't really know what was wrong with him, but we have to assume it was stress-related. Mm-hmm. I think it's fair to assume that. It's, uh, yeah, uh, there's more to come out about this. I mean, uh, when any, whenever anyone comes out and says, he's, this person has left their position, but we're not giving a reason why something huge has gone down here. And again, to be a fly on the wall would be... <laughs> We need the Netflix cameras doing this, don't we? We need the Netflix cameras just setting up in Monaghan's office. Chad, mum, if you're listening, you know what to do. But I tell you, it's funny, the more we talk about it, the more it reminds me of the end of Boris Johnson's term as Prime Minister, where he just was clinging on and clinging on and clinging on, and then slowly but surely people started to resign. It feels like he's, Monaghan's just a few mass resignations away now, a sort of, Sajid Javid, Rishi Sunak style resignation away from basically being forced out. Anyway, enough of enough of the the psychodrama that is the PGA Tour. Let's go to something a lot more stable, and that's Love Golf. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dearie me! That was good on Sunday, wasn't it? It was, yeah. And do you know what? I'm excited, Alex, because we're actually going to talk about Love Golf in a golfing sense. Bryson DeChambeau shooting a 58 at the Greenbrier. Is it still called the Greenbrier? I know that's what was in the PGA Tour, but... I think they're calling it Live Golf Greenbrier. Yeah. yeah. So he shot a 58 anyway to, to win the tournament. 61-58 he went in the final two rounds. Really quite extraordinary stuff. And my first question is, did you watch it? Because we know it's not the easiest thing in the world to tune into. Well, no, it's, it's very difficult to work out where it is and how we get hold of it, especially in this country. I liked it when it was on YouTube. I liked that. I just, it was much easier, wasn't it? I know where YouTube is. I can find that on my phone. Um, I had gone, so I, on Monday, I went to Oxford to interview a former Ryder Cup player. And that will be a lovely big spread in the Ryder Cup yes. preview issue of Bunkered. And so Sunday night, I'd gone down to Oxford the night before because we were meeting super early and it's a three-hour drive. From South and Yorkshire. I'd, Dread to think what it's like from North Yorkshire. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I had gone, yeah, I'd gone on Sunday night. So I'd gone for a nice, I was a couple of miles outside of town. So I'd gone for a nice stroll. It was a lovely balmy summer evening. I'd gone to a bite for a bite to eat in town and I'd just settled down and I'd taken one bite of my dinner and my phone was lighting up and people were saying, oh my God, is, are, you, are you watching this? Like Bryson's on 59 watch and all this stuff. And so yeah, I, I, I caught the clips from, from the last two or three holes. I thought it was absolutely tremendous. I am always, it doesn't matter who it is or what tour they're playing on. If someone's on 59 watch, I'm always rooting for it. Mm-hmm. And that big sweeping putt Everyone was thinking, oh, yeah, he's going to make the 59 because he's got whatever it was, 30 feet, two putt from here, 59, happy days. And then he sweeps that huge snaking putt in for 58. You go, I love this celebration. That was Brilliant, wasn't it? Wasn't it? It, was just, it was so good to watch. He was like, uh, to use it again, to use a child analogy, it was just like when, when, when you're, I don't know about what it's like with your daughter, but with my kids, when they do something that they don't think they can do, they just have this sense of, amazement on their face and this sort of this look of absolute astonishment and that's just and he he did revert to a child when mm-hmm. that putt dropped in like it was lovely to watch uh i i particularly enjoyed all the chads on social media dismissing the achievement because apparently they just shoot 58 every week <laughs> that's, just some, that's just something they do 
It's not competitive uh, so golf and blah, blah, blah. It doesn't matter who you're playing. It doesn't matter if you're playing against, you know, John Smith down at your local club or if you're playing on Live Golf or if you're playing at the Masters. If you shoot 58, it's an astonishing achievement. There's a reason that only five players or whatever it is have done it at tour level in the last hundred years or whatever. So there's a reason why that is. Yeah. And it's because it's incredibly hard to do. There's only, I think, it, is it five fifty-eight at tour level, and then something like twelve fifty? There's only been one fifty-nine on the on the European tour. Yeah, absolutely. It's an incredible achievement. It doesn't matter if it's a par seventy. Oh, I, mean, I see it, it was, that. Oh, I mean, but I, but I see that stuff kick off. When I, when I see that stuff kicking off, and people are saying, "Oh, yeah, it's a par 70, So all he had to do was shoot eleven under. Yeah, all he had to do was shoot eleven all under. He had to do. It's, I mean, it's it's absurd. The, what people don't understand is that. There are a hell of a lot of par 71 and par 70 golf courses on the PGA Tour. Probably as many as there are par 72s. I've not done the maths, but that that's certainly the the the, the assumption I think I'm pretty safe in making. And yet, as you say, for all that, a 58 has only ever been shot once on the PGA Tour. For all those rounds played on all those par 70 golf courses across all these years and decades, it's only happened once. Why is that? You're quite right, because it's very, very difficult to do. I think that people underestimate the psychology of it as well, that when you realise, as these guys do, they all admit it afterwards, like, yeah, I, I know that I'm potentially going to shoot 59, 58. That plays with you, whether it's a par 70, par 71, par 73, par 92, it doesn't matter. When you realise that you're on that score, that messes with your head and it does things to you. So it's... Th- Never mind the extra two shots or whatever it might be. The the ability to contain your emotions and to still hit quality golf shots and hit, you know, whole long putts, etc. That that is something that should be celebrated regardless of who's doing it, regardless of what course they're playing, and regardless of what tour. To split hairs like that oh, it just must be such an exhausting way to live. I, I just always assume it's remember that guy from that wonderful episode of South Park called Make Love Not Warcraft I think it was and you've got that there's that famous scene with the the fat guy with the bold hair and the greasy and he sat on his <laughs> computer in his mum's basement that's just that's who I picture when I see these people chunting on about it but it was absolutely wonderful and, and the one thing it made me think actually was that I really miss Bryson DeChambeau yeah. I miss the Bryson DeChambeau that we had when he was going through his big bulking up phase and he was, you know, he was the box office player on the tour. I said this at the time, I think you and I were both on the Sky Sports podcast together when, when Bryson, the week after Bryson moved or Brooks and Bryson moved or whatever it was at the time. And I remember us having this discussion and saying that actually for all the talk of Mickelson and DJ and Patrick Reed, Bryson DeChambeau was the the player we were going to miss the most. And that, and it's proved that to be the case. The yeah. PGA Tour does miss him. He's an incredible, like, uh, he is a player that people tune in to watch. Absolutely agree. And a wonderful character. What he's done is a reminder of what the PGA Tour is missing, in my opinion. Not to, I, I don't want people to think that this episode is just becoming a, a bash the PGA Tour special. <laughs> I mean, that that's coming out in October. But, I mean, it's, it is a reminder, though, of the things that it doesn't have. Bryson DeChambeau on the PGA Tour, regardless, again, of where he was playing or how well he was playing, he was always entertaining, always compelling, and you stopped what you were doing to watch him. It was like when he was 
playing in the FedEx Cup playoffs a few years ago and did he not get quite ratty with Patrick Cantley and so on when they were playing in, I think it was either the Deutsche Bank or the Barclays. What, I mean, with the greatest respect, if Xander Schofley gets ratty with Patrick Cantley, I'm, I'm not sure I'll tune in. I'm, I'm, I might, but if Bryson DeChambeau does, I'm there all day long. Fire oh. ants. I mean, God, remember that episode? The guy is... He's absolutely crazy, but that's part of the appeal. I'd forgotten about that. There's so many things that have happened with Bryson DeChambeau over the year. There's something involving fire ants that's fallen out of my brain. He had a guy spritzing golf balls on the range to simulate morning dew. Just brilliant. Honestly, I mean, how can you not be entertained by that? I'm not saying you have to like the guy, but you have to accept that's bloody entertaining. Give me that over... Oh, I don't know. Patton Kazire going lights out at the Travellers Championship. I think, yeah, for me, uh, I've said this on, I think I said this on the open preview of this podcast, but at St. George's when I was in that little cluster around the 16th, I think it's the 16th hole, which is the par three. So you've got, it's a, it's a really nice spot at St. George's because you've got the 15th green, the entire 16th because it's the par three. And then you've got the ninth, I think it's the ninth green in the 10th tee just for the sake of argument. And Bryson was without doubt the biggest draw that week. The, the, whenever I was out and about, the crowds were following DeChambeau. And there was a lovely moment I caught when DeChambeau was on the 10th tee. He was just waiting for the group in front to move away. And everyone is on knife edge. Like, what club is he pulling out of his bag? And he pulls out the hybrid and he starts getting booed, like jokingly getting mm-hmm. booed. And he's playing along and, you know, he, he turned around and he went, guys, I'm trying to win a fucking golf tournament here. And it was just so fun. And we all fell about laughing. It was so funny. And he's just like, that's just the kind of guy he is. But that was what he had conditioned us into because he would, was obviously doing this big bulk up. He wanted to be the longest driver on tour, yeah. which I think he achieved two years in a row. And that's just, that was his only goal was length. So when he was pulling out hybrid, obviously you got that sort of pantomime booing. But he was at, and and this was right in the crux of all that as well, like right when this was like the biggest story in golf. So it was just wonderful to see and to see it firsthand as well was yeah. an incredible experience. I'm so glad I walked past that part of the golf course at that exact moment because I just happened to stumble on it by chance. I wasn't following DeChambeau, I just happened to stumble on it. Heaven forbid so golf should really be good. entertaining, eh? Jeez, oh. Exactly. Anyway, exactly. You've, you've sent me a note as we approach the break here saying that you've got a quiz now usually at this point i would surprise bryce and throw some questions at him or such like but evidently you've decided to turn the tables on me so yeah I'm, I'm that's as much as i know I, I i like being the quiz master i, I want to do this now this is my <laughs> you're thing. like gareth from the office <laughs> <laughs> i have got one about the suez now um all right do you want it now go for it should we just jump straight in bring it on i'm not scared I knew that the significant talking point at the start of this podcast was going to be money. So I did actually only go back 10 years, but then I thought, you know what? I'm going to keep, you kept me waiting because you were in another meeting. So I thought, Sorry you know what? That. I'm going to go back to the turn of the century. So in the 11 players to have topped the PGA Tour money list since the turn of the century. So 2000 through to 2022. There have been 11 players to have topped the money list. Okay. Tiger Woods, obviously, multiple occasions. Tiger Woods, eight times. Rory. Rory McIlroy, 
twice. VJ? VJ Singh three times. That's really surprising, isn't it? He was he was mixing three it in times. around those Tiger Woods years. So, he was also the first to go over ten million for a single year. Stenson? Stenson, no. Luke Donald. I have a weird feeling he won both titles in the same year. Luke Donald, 2011, 6.7 million. So I've got four out of 11. Mm-hmm. 11 feels like a huge amount, doesn't it? Scotty Scheffler. Scotty Scheffler last year, yep, one. Uh, five out of 11. Going well, because I'm now starting to blank. That's outrageous. Oh, who profited from Tiger not playing very well? Oh, Billy Horschel. He won the FedEx Cup. Yeah, but he wasn't top of the money list. Oh, crap. Let me see. Let me see. Let me see. I mean, Tiger won it so many times in a row, didn't he? So, I mean, he'll pretty much have taken care of everything from 2000 up till 2007. Yeah, so Tiger won it in 2001-2, and then Sing Sing, Woods, Woods, Woods. Sing again in 2008, Woods in 2009. You haven't got 2010 yet. And it was only 4.9 million as well. So that was the year that Tiger fell off the face after his little getting attacked by his wife, wasn't it? <laughs> the fire hydrant incident. The fire hydrant incident, yeah. It went from Woods and Sing winning circa 10 million each for a few years. And then it dropped down in 2010 to 4.9 million, which is ludicrous really, isn't it? Jim Furyk. No. Crap. I was just thinking of other FedEx Cup winners and hoping for the best. Phil Mickelson never did it, did he? Phil Mickelson never did it, no, because he was obviously in that mm-hmm. Underwood spell. So you've got Donald, who was 11. You've got McElroy, 12. Woods was 13. McElroy was 14. So you haven't got 15, 16, 17, oh! 18, 19. Jordan Spieth. Jordan Spieth was 15, yep. What about Justin Thomas? Justin Thomas has won it three times, 17, 18, and 20. I'm missing 2010. That's really messing with me. 2010. 2010. You're missing 2019, which I think is pretty obvious when you think about the major winners around that time. 2019. Tiger won the Masters. Shane Lowry won the Open. 2019 US Open was Gary Woodland. It's not Gary Woodland that's won it. 2019 PGA. Okay, year before then. <laughs> <laughs> ah, right, okay. Uh, Molinari? No. 2018 Ma- Patrick Reed won the 2018 Masters. It's not him. 2018 US Open. Oh, no, no. Michael. 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 Dustin Johnson. Dustin Johnson. Won it in 2016. So you're still missing 2019. And 2010. Oh my. Who was the best player on the planet between like 2017 and 2019? I'm absolutely massively blanking. He's won a major this year. John Ram. He's a live golfer. Oh, Michael. Brooks Kepka. (laughs) Jesus Christ. Brooks Kepka 2019. And you just said John Rahm, who won it in 21 as well. So I'll give you that. So you are just missing now. 2010. 2010. I'm trying to think of a clue that won't give it away straight away. But you are sort of... Right. I'll give... He's not a major winner. Well, that sucks. That's oh, Lee Westwood. Nope. Sergio Garcia. 
he's a major champion. He is a major champion, that's correct. Well done, keeping you on your toes. Colin Montgomery. <laughs> no. Not a major champion, but was playing well around that time, and it's not Snedeker. Charlie Hoffman, he's, first round leader. He's just about the most American man on the planet. I'm trying to. I've got a, I've got a fun clue, but I think it will just give it to you straight away. Just about the most American man on the planet. I mean, oh god! Try and picture someone who's just like the most American person you can think of, and you probably think of like Phil Mickelson when you think yeah. in terms of golf, but also this man. I'm now, so American. I'm he's now, got a stupid cheesy grin across his face. A stupid cheesy grin. Apart from when it comes to paying his employees. Oh, no! No! Oh, there's probably lots of people listening to this right now going, how is it taking you this long? It's Matt Kutcher. It is Matt Kutcher. 2010. 4.9 million in 2010. And that won him the Order of Merit, or whatever they call it on the PGA Tour. Money list? What do they call it? The money list? What did he win that year? It must have been like a WGC or three... I suspect so, yeah. Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? 11 winners of the, yeah. uh, the money list in, in 20, well, 22 years. Incredible. There you go. Good. I, I, know, know, I, know, I know how, I realise now how Bryce must feel because I'm sweating. The room's absolutely freezing <laughs> and I'm sweating, so that tells me something. Anyway, we must go to the break. We've prattled on long enough and there is more to come in the second part of this week's Bunkered Podcast in association with Calorie. All golfers can agree, hitting it far feels great. But does it feel great? A first in forging has created irons that have never felt better. Paradigm was precisely constructed with the first ever AI-designed forged 455 face cup and an all-new speed frame to enhance speed and feel, earning 15 out of 15 stars from the Golf Digest hot list. This is the new Paradigm in Performance from Callaway. Protect your golfing equipment with insurance that fits to a tee. At the Insurance Emporium, you can choose the plan to suit you on and off the course. Get up to 30% discounts, including a special 5% discount when you use the promo code BUNK. For more details and to get started on your quote, visit us at theinsuranceemporium.co.uk or give us a call on 03300 the promo code cannot be used in conjunction with any other promo code. Offer ends 31st of December 2023. See website FAQs for details. Welcome back. Part two of this week's Bunkered podcast in association with Callaway, Michael McEwen and Alex Perry with you. If you're enjoying this episode, and let's face it, you've made it this far, so you probably are, then don't forget to subscribe to the podcast, to like the podcast, wherever you get your, your podcasts from, be it Spotify, Apple, Google or whatever. Give us a five-star rating if you wouldn't mind and leave us a nice review. That just means that lots more people can join the party and can participate in the fun and shenanigans. Alex, AIG Women's Open this week, Walton Heath, yep. the final major of the year, men's or women's, and I think also seniors as well, but does anyone really count the seniors majors? They don't count. Okay. No, we count the men's and the women's and that's it. Exactly. So the last of those is taking place at Walton Heath as, a, as you would expect. All of the best female golfers in the world are are lining up to play it. It's not like the Evian where Lexi Thompson just decided, nah. All of them are showing up at Walton Heath. And I think let's start with the golf course because, frankly, 
it's a classic golf course. It's a, a historic golf course. It's a long-established golf course that the modern men's game at professional level certainly no longer visits because it's just not big enough. It's it's not long enough. I don't even know if the 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 actual size of the the area that the course is on is big enough to host a DP World Tour event or anything like that. The the length in the women's game means that it's not obsolete. And I think that's quite nice, isn't it? Because we don't want to lose these golf courses altogether. Regardless of where you stand on the rollback discussion, it's still nice that there is a part of the game that is able to enjoy and visit these classic venues. Yeah, it's a strange argument, isn't it? And I don't really want to get into that, but it's the, the cross-section of people who want the ball rolled back versus how many of these events they actually end up watching. Is the, the, the Venn diagram is basically just a massive circle to these people. So, <laughs> so this this week is playing 6,881 yards as a par 72. Of course, it, the, the DP World Tour was there just five years ago mm-hmm. when uh, the British Masters went there. Eddie Pepperell won it at minus nine. I think only, uh, I want to say 20 or 21 players were under par that week. I mean, the weather certainly helped. I mean, I can't remember the Saturday conditions, but the Sunday it definitely hummed it down for the entire day, which certainly helped on that front. But you're right. I've, I've been fortunate enough to play both courses. So they, they, they do the same as they, when, it, when they played it there as a DP World Tour event, they have a composite course. So they use 16 holes from the old course and then two from the new. And it is a spectacular place. Like it is, it's one of those places where you roll in and you know that you're in that kind of golfing royalty in terms of the grand clubhouse and everything about it just screams old-fashioned golf. And and I really like that. And a lot of people really like that. But when you actually go into the club, it's nothing like that at all. It's it's run by young, forward-thinking people who, who, are, who are interested in the, the growing the game and and making the game more accessible to, to juniors, to women, and uh, to disabled players. Like they have some wonderful things going on at this golf course. Like it really is. It does sort of set the standard. And I think if there is a list of golf courses that have been criminally underused for top level events, Walton Heath is very high on this list. Genuinely, just one of well, certainly one of the. I don't know if you've played it, but certainly one of the. I never courses. have, but I've been there a few times to do various bits and bobs, and it's it it has a. A reputation, I think, because it's Walton Heath and blah, 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 and just mm. that's location yeah. as well. But it's, my experience, it's nothing like that. I mean, it's, as, you, as you've described very articulately, it's a very friendly, proactive, forward-facing club. Yep, and they've just got a new head pro in who is from Yorkshire, and he's just gone down there, Simon Watch Race, part? and I chatted to him. <laughs> he was from near Huddersfield, which I think is West Yorkshire. But not East Riding of Yorkshire, no. Not East Riding, no. So I played with Simon in a TGI event. I want to say it was either just before COVID or just after, doesn't matter. Very nice guy. Incredible that he's got the job. He, his golf club, which was Melton near Huddersfield, as I said, he did wonderful things with growing the women's side. And he's gone down to Walton Heath and he's picked up where he left off and they've got a wonderful women's program down there. So it, it's very fitting that they've got this tournament, which is when I look at the tournaments that I enjoy watching over the years, uh, sorry, over the course of the season, 
And I always try and think of myself in terms of a casual golf fan. I don't know if you do this, but I obviously have to watch a lot of golf because it's my job. So Mm -hmm. perhaps sometimes on a Sunday night when the Travelers is on, and I don't necessarily want to watch it, and I'd rather just stick (laughs) Netflix on and watch something Travelers is getting a pasting this week, but I love it. The Masters and the Open Championship and the Women's Open are the three tournaments I very rarely miss mm-hmm. any rounds. Like I love whether, you know, whether it's the Thursday and the Friday and I've just got it on my iPad next to me and it's just playing while I, while I work. I very rarely miss any of it. And it has to be for a, a very particular reason. And, and I'm, I am throwing the PGA Championship and the US Open into that as well. Like if I was a casual golf fan, I reckon I would only tune into those tournaments maybe over the weekend. I certainly wouldn't be taking a day off work to watch mm. it like I might if it was the Open. The The Women's Open has thrown out some incredible storylines over the last couple of years. I mean, who can forget? Uh, Hina- uh, we're talking about Bryson DeChambeau jumping in the air and having that childlike wonderment in his eyes when he celebrated when Hinako Shibuno in 2019 at Woburn sank that huge putt to to win. And it was her first tournament outside of Japan. She had never played outside of her home country. And she wins the bloody Open. And they've got Sophia Popov at Royal Troon as well. And then, exactly, the following year, she was the world number 300 and something, 325 or whatever it was, at Royal Troon. So, and, and, and that as well. It, it's now going to some incredible golf. I mean, it was going to incredible golf courses before anyway, like, you know, the Lindricks yeah. of the world and the uh, St. Melian and places like that are all wonderful golf courses. But in the major era, it's going to Lytham, it's going to Sunningdale, it's going to Carnoustie, it's going to King's Barnes, it's going to the old course. Yeah, and, and, and these are golf courses that, as I said with Walton Heath, that, and, and you're going to be unbearable about this around March time, but when you are watching a tournament where you have played the golf course, <laughs> it makes it so much better to watch, doesn't it? I mean, how many times well, I'll tell you, you watched the... exactly, exactly, yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> so how much, it's so much more satisfying to watch a golf tournament where you're like, oh, I remember playing yeah. that hole and I did this and this and this. And, uh, it, and it has been going to some incredible places. And, and it's, like I said, it's a wonderful tournament. I absolutely love watching it. And I just, I, I hope, as it has been for the last few years, throws up a, a yeah. really cool story. Yeah, I think, I think it, it's all geared towards that. Certainly the, the RNA taking more of a role in the, the running of the championship as they have done over the last five, six years, it's elevated it. I mean, I hate to use that expression because apparently we're not allowed to anymore. I should really say they've signatured it. But they have <laughs> raised the profile of the, the AIG Women's Open massively. It's on a completely different level to what it used to be. Where do you see it going, though? I mean, is it unrealistic to think that it can... I suppose it is unrealistic. I'll temper that straight away. It's probably unrealistic to think that it can compete with the Open or at least be on a, a similar footing to it. But... Can it be the out-and-out out number one tournament in women's golf, for example? Because it's at the moment it's one of, but can it be out-and-out out the number one? Well, I think what the Open has going for it, the men's Open has going for it, is that it is golf's oldest major. So immediately the women's Open has that to compete against because it's only been a major since, I want to say, 2001. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, very it's only been going since... As a as a LET tournament, it was only go. It's only been going since the seventies. I think it was nineteen seventy six, and you know a couple of amateurs won it in the first couple of years because it was just a, a low riding event. 
can it be as big as the Open? Of course it can't. Like that's, it's, it's just, it's, it's impossible. not going to happen. And it shouldn't it's, try yeah, to. It's not going to happen. No, it shouldn't. It should just try to be the best tournament it can be. And I think it is doing that and it is doing all the right things. So for example, at Walton Heath this week, they've got loads of really cool initiatives to get younger people to go. I mean, if you look at the ticket prices, I can't, I can't remember them off the top of my head, but if you look at the ticket prices, I think if you're under 16 and you're going with an adult, you're basically either going for free or you're not paying anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry, you're not paying very much. And if you're, you know, if you're 16 to 24 or whatever it is, you're not paying very much either. So, and then they've got the Saturday night, they've got entertainment. So we keep getting it thrusted upon us. We had it at the open. That was a really nice touch. I thought there was lots of big billboards for the women's open at the mm-hmm. open. Yep. At, at Liverpool and you know Ellie Goulding is playing on the Saturday night obviously a very popular pop star so they are moving in the right direction in that sense and they're making it more of a I think they're, are they calling it a festival of golf which feels right they're making it you know come for the golf enjoy the golf enjoy watching the best players in the world enjoy watching the Nelly Corders and the Lexi Thompson players that you just don't get to see play in this country mm-hmm. and then stay and have a dance, yeah. sing along. With Come for the golf, stay for the music. music. That's, a, that's, a fair, exactly. that's a fair logic. There's nothing wrong with that. No, not at all. I, I, think, I think they're doing a very good job. I, I think they deserve, the RNA and the organisers deserve to be commended for it because they are doing a very good job of it. Absolutely. Well, speaking of giving the RNA credit, I was at the official opening of Golf It, their new community-based golf hub, just close to Glasgow City Centre last Thursday. And frankly pretty much blown away by it. I know that you've been following this one as well, Alex, but yeah, a really cool, different... What's the right word for it? Because I, I hate using words like cool because that makes it immediately sound not cool. But it's it's exactly the right kind of project to, I think, grow the game. Yeah, so there's there's a couple of places not too far from me. So one's over in Manchester, the Trafford Centre, who uh, it's a wonderful setup so you go in and you've got crazy golf for the kids and the families then you've got what feels like hundreds of driving range bays with track man and then at the end other end it's slightly more serious where you can actually go and have lessons if you decide so it's almost like the evolution of golf from starting out as a kid messing around on the dinosaur crazy golf to then whacking balls in the range, to then actually taking it seriously and getting fitted for clubs and having lessons on the other end. And I, I, I love these initiatives. I love the way that they bring people in. I mean, you can go to any of these places and, and golf it will be the same. It opened on Saturday, didn't it? Mm-hmm. So golf it will be exactly the same. You will go in there and it will probably be a 50-50 split of people who are golfers and people who just aren't, who just think oh, this is a really fun way to go and spend a couple of hours. I went to the range on Sunday night when I got to Oxford because I had a couple of hours to kill. And I I went there and in the next two bays over from me were two girls who couldn't have been older than, well, I, I think they were Oxford students. So they, you know, they were probably 18, 19. They couldn't hit a golf ball, but they'd just gone along. They said to the guy, can we borrow a golf club and can we have a hundred balls between us? And they were just like whacking golf balls. And, and that is fantastic to see. And it is, I, I've watched your, you, you did a fantastic video on Golfit, which is on our, our Bunker's YouTube channel. I encourage anyone to go and watch it if you, if you don't really understand what this thing is. And it's just, it, it's really hard to explain. I, I don't want to say it made me emotional. It's probably not quite the right phrase for it. 
But it did sort of give me that little feeling inside that made me think, do you know what? I think we're probably going to be okay. Yeah, it triggers emotions in, in the right making hand. you, you know, start welling up. I'm very much someone who is very keen to get involved in making sure that the game is accessible to everyone and anyone. There should never, ever be limitations on who can play golf and who can't play golf. And it should just be a sport that is open to everyone. We, we need to get rid of this tag of it's an old white man sport. We absolutely need to get rid of yeah, that. I agree. And it is just lovely to see. In terms of what you experienced there, I mean, first of all, I would love to see this rolled out around the country. You are in the fortunate position of living just a couple of miles from this place. <laughs> what was your general feeling just walking around and, and being there? It felt different to a normal driving range, put it that way. I mean, yes, all the, the constituent parts of a driving range were there, but it just felt a bit more relaxed. It felt a bit more beginner-friendly. Like, you could walk in and you, you, aren't, you aren't met straight away by a counter where there's what looks like a very austere pro standing behind it and there's every ball under the sun that you can think of and lots of clubs in the racks. It's not that. You walk in, like, the first thing you see is street food. You know, it's it's yeah. all quite sort of pop up and deliberately basic feeling, which is really really cool. But it doesn't throw golf straight in your face straight away. That says, well, unless you understand golf, you're probably in the wrong place. Sure. So you, when you get over that, you then walk out onto the range. It's spacious for a start, which some ranges aren't. So you don't feel like you're standing right next to somebody who is plus one and is going to be judging everything you do. I mean, you, you do have enough space where your bay feels like your bay. And there's loud music playing, which is, you know, some people like that, some people don't. I personally think it's a good thing. And, yeah, it's it, the, the whole vibe is just very much geared towards people who are interested in the game without necessarily having to be an avid golfer. Then you've got things like the adventure golf, you've got the, what they call park golf, which is basically pitch and putt, but it's very, what's the word? Very rough and ready. You know, it's not particularly cultivated. Well, it's the just perfect a of place for people to start out. Spot playing. on, yeah. And then you've got the nine-hole golf course, which was previously the 18-hole Letham Hill golf course, but it was going to disappear. Glasgow City Council, as we know, had pretty much given up on it. So what do you want? Do you want nine holes with a fantastic facility or do you want no holes at all? Because I heard a few people grumbling on social media at the weekend. It's like, oh, well, they've taken away our 18-hole course. Yeah, and made something better. It's not like they've taken away golf completely. Had the Adenig mm -hmm. not come in, Taylor Wimpy or Calla Holmes would be building on that site right now. You'd have no golf to play. So what they, I think they've quite skillfully done is create like the complete pathway. So if you're a total beginner, you can rock up, you can use clubs for free. You don't have to hire the clubs, which is great. There's a whole selection you can just pick up. And yeah, you can take aimless swings or you can you know, work on parts of your game, you can go out and use this park golf, you can practice your putting. And when you feel comfortable, if you feel comfortable, you can go out and you can play on the nine hole course. There's also, as I say, lots of different food and all that sort of thing. So it feels like a, like everything I was hoping it would be. Now, I'm not going to lie, when I heard that the RNA were involved in this, my first suspicion was, oh yeah, this is going to be, this is going to be an interpretation of what cool looks like. And it's yeah. probably going to be anything but. This is what a bunch of 60-year-old men think cool is. Exactly. 
Like that famous Steve Buscemi clip where he walks up with the the cap back to front, holding the skateboard. <laughs> Hello, fellow kids, what's up? And that that was my that'll fear. Be, that'll be me when I'm at the Blink One Eight Two concert in October. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you've got some just for men for the occasion, so you don't start it <laughs> or bleach it. Do the Gaza. But yeah, I, 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 that was my worry was that it would be an interpretation of what the right thing should look like without actually being the right thing. In the end, they've nailed it. It's bright, it's colourful, it's spacious. Well, if you're going to work on your game and you want silence or you just want the sound of other golfers hitting balls, then you just go somewhere else. This is this it, and it, it can't be like every other driving range because the RNA said golf needed to change. Martin Slumbers has been quite clear on that, that the traditional way of doing things isn't necessarily the right way to do things going forward. So if they just created another range which was the same as every other driving range, then they failed miserably. But they, to me, it's, it is tempting, and I said this in the piece that I wrote, it's tempting not to congratulate the RNA too much for doing what is effectively their job. It's up to them mm -hmm. to look after the participation rates and to make sure that golf is accessible and accommodating to absolutely anybody who's interested in it. So the fact they've done it doesn't necessarily feel like something that we should applaud them too heartily for. But where I think they do deserve credit is that they've really sweated the small stuff and poured over the finer details to create something that is frankly just bob on. They, they have absolutely nailed it. What they need now is the thing that they can't control. You know, you can always only control the controllables and to that point, bang on. Great job, lads and lasses. But... The bit they can't control is, will people engage? Will the community buy into it? Will it be used enough? And that's the sort of unknown part, but it certainly won't be for the want of trying. To your earlier point about how's it going to roll out, that's that's the next big question, because I don't think it's any secret that this is a proof of concept for the RNA, but there's an awful lot of cities in the country and there's an awful lot of countries in the world for which the RNA has a responsibility. Golf, it costs an awful lot of money. Yeah, It's unrealistic to think that the RNA can create these all around the world. Even all around the UK feels a bit far-fetched because of the expense involved. But then again, you know, maybe it's something that be, can become franchised. I don't know what the, the ambition is or how they plan to... I think I know what the ambition is. I just don't know how they plan to realise it. But I'm confident that they know and that's good enough for me because Martin Slumbers has done nothing but a great job since he came in. And next time I'm up at Bunkered HQ, we're going to have to pop down for a, a whack and a beer. Sounds good to me. Anyway, right, we're fast running out of time today, Mr. Perry. As as you said, if anyone wants to see more about Golf It, go to our YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash Bunkered, or check out the Bunkered website. There's plenty of stuff there and our social channels too. We, we covered the opening pretty extensively. And to Alex's point, it's not the last time we'll be there. It is on our doorstep. Anyway, Podder of Merit. Mr. Ritchie obviously can't be with us this week. And frankly, just as well. A new season of Podder of Merit has started. I am leading the overall standings five seasons to one. Bryce won the first one, I think, and hasn't won one since. But anyway, the new season has started. We're back to square one, zero, zero, heading into the Senior Open as it was. I had the honour and I regretted it almost immediately because I chose Bernard Langer and I thought, that's genius, Michael, well done. He's probably going to finish top 10. And he did. He finished tied seventh. But I completely, frankly, forgot about Podrick Harrington 
Price didn't. He picked him and he finished second, losing in a playoff to Alex Cheka to further enhance or otherwise his Ryder Cup prospects. We'll find out more about that in the coming weeks when Luke Donald does name his six players to go to Rome. But doesn't matter in this instance because Bryce wins the point. So, yes, Bryce won, Michael nil. Alex, you are deputising for Bryce this week. Oh, wow. So, yeah, good luck with that. And it's the AIG Women's Open, obviously. The first of the FedEx Cup playoff events, the FedEx St. Jude Invitational's taking place, but frankly... The AIG Women's Open is Yeah, exactly. But the AIG Women's Open is a far, far bigger deal. So the honor is Bryce's, aka yours, Alex. Who's it gonna be? There's a lot of players I like for the for the women's open. I really like from a British standpoint, I really like Charlie Hull. Mm-hmm. She's playing some really nice golf at the moment. She took some time away uh for to deal with her mental state, which is commendable. And she's come back and she's played really nicely. Jin Young-Ko, just the best player in the world, <laughs> Hands down. in my opinion. Just uh, I, I would argue that over the last handful of years, she's been the best player in the world of men and women. Just a phenomenal player. And her open record reads, two missed cut, three missed cut. Sort of feels like there's <laughs> an obvious one. Obvious number missing in that pattern, isn't there? So I, I'm tempted to go for her. Um, I think... Oh, Am I going to go for Co or am I? No, I'm going to go for Leona Maguire. Oh, wow. She's, okay. had, she's had a really nice year. She had a couple of top tens last year. She's had a nice year on the majors this year. So I'm just pulling up her Wikipedia page here. So tied 23, tied 11, tied 31, tied 42. So not amazing, but not terrible. I mean, that Women's PJ Championship is the one that will yeah, smart the most because obviously she was leading through 54 holes and then she stumbled away. I like her open record. So she was the low amateur at Woburn in, in 16. So she knows how to get it done on these inland links. And then she had, in the last two years, she's had a tied 13th at Carnoustie and a tied 4th at Muirfield. So she's, tra- I hate this word. You've done it. You do. you just trending. said it. I half said it. She's trending in the right direction in this tournament. So Ireland's first female major champion. Ooh, okay. I wouldn't bet against it. Would you? Well, probably not. No, she's world number 13 as well, the second highest European on the Rolex women's rankings at the moment, the highest being Celine Boutier, who has won in back-to-back weeks, winning the Evian. And then, I'll give her props for this, went straight to Dundonald for the Women's Scottish Open. Would have been so tempting to say, nah, you're all right, and take the week off, particularly when her clubs went missing in transit from France to, to Ayrshire. <laughs> but she overcame all of that, the mental fatigue, the... Everything that goes with winning your first major and then losing your clubs and ended up winning at Dundonald Links last week against a pretty stacked field. She's now world number three, Celine Boutier. So I don't see her making it three wins in a row, frankly. Uh, it's That would be an exceptional, exceptional achievement and frankly, borderline unprecedented. Two majors in three weeks without a win sandwiched in between as well. I Yeah, I'm struggling to see that. Instead... I am going to go for somebody who hasn't had a particularly good year by her own admission, but who I still think on her day is probably the best female golfer and certainly one of the most exciting female golfers on the planet, and that is Lydia Ko, world number five, struggling a little bit this year, 
I think she's flip flopped between going to Sean Foley, Bingham, she's very and going hot back to old, isn't she? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But when she's hot, I mean, my goodness, who can keep up with her? Nelly Corda, strange year she's had as well with injuries and so on. Jin Young Ko is the other standout that I, I do feel like I should have picked, but I'm going to go for her namesake, Lydia, instead. But whichever way you cut it, it's going to be a great week. The, the Women's Open's always a, a fantastic watch. Great golf course this week at Walton Heath as well. Phenomenal field. I'm quite, quite looking forward to shelving all my plans for Saturday, Sunday and, and watching that. Which I should have gone with Jin Young, shouldn't I? We could have just had a co-op. Oh, nice. A KO, a KO blow. Yeah. That would have been good. Yeah. No, I'm sticking with Maguire. I've made my choice now. I'm sticking with Maguire. Sorry, well, you can't Brian. go back. Once you say the name, that's it. It's locked in. That's how it works, Alex. Right now, Bryce is pounding his car dashboard, driving back from his holidays, <laughs> saying it should have been Jin Young Ko. But anyway. I should have texted him, shouldn't I? That's for you to worry about on Monday when he's back. Right. We'll finish up as we always do with Honesty Box. And I kind of threw this your way to see if you have anything that you'd like to contribute, Mr. Perry. Well, I'll tell you what, I was sort of thinking back and forth about what to do. And I, I, I know you've done Room 101 on this before. Oh, yeah. But we obviously had this wonderful story, which was yesterday, I believe, where John Rahm <laughs> was asked about the changes he would like to make to the PGA Tour. And I mean, imagine all the things you could think of in terms of the changes that need to be made on the PJ Tour. And he came out with something spectacular, which was, I want toilets on every hole. Because every I hole. can't decide. Well, I th- yeah, I think that's what he said. Let me just get the quote. Uh, I mean, how irregular are his bowel movements? He says, I can't choose when I have to go to the bathroom. I've told the tour. Yeah, maybe not every hole, but... Well, no, he did. He said... I know this is going to sound very stupid, but as simple as having a freaking porter potty on every hole. Every hole is a bit excessive, isn't it? But actually, I think he makes a very, very valid point. I have played a lot of, we're talking about the women's open and, and women's golf. I've played a lot of golf with uh, female players over the last few years, whether through my job or just playing with friends. And that is a huge problem for them. You mm-hmm. and I can just slip off into a bush or into some trees and relieve ourselves there. Women can't do that. They don't have that option. So actually, he does. He's talking about the PGA Tour here, but he is making a very valid point. Like women, uh, if there's a, if there's no halfway hut, they have to hold it for eighteen holes. Yeah, which is ludicrous. Okay. So my my question to you isn't about that. That's just me <laughs> getting on my soapbox. But I wasn't sure where you're going with that. But if you if know. you could make if you could make one just tiny change like that like to golf whether it's pj tour level or preferably club level what would you do just something that's almost insignificant hmm good question see i i was trying i was trying to think of how i would answer it and now we can go down the normal route of ban white belts stop letting old men dictate dress codes and things like that but actually that is quite a wider argument which is quite well trodden down the years in terms of golf and the big debates surrounding the sport i think the best i can come up with was something that has hit me in the last few weeks which is just get rid of bloody lasers they're so irritating and <laughs> it's uh, I, I really hope no laser companies are listening to this and can start shelling sponsorship and <laughs> <bunking>. <laughs> but 
you play off 18, mate. You don't need an exact measurement to the yard, to the flag. If you've got a GPS that tells you the front, the middle and the back, that is more than enough. You do not need to know any more information than that. Also, 14 clubs, far too many. Just 10's enough. Yeah. Again, again, Titleist, TaylorMade, Callaway, Ping, Cobra. I'm sorry. We just don't need that many gold clubs in our bag. <laughs> You can still make all of them. You can still make man. Jeez. You can still make all of them, and we'll choose which ones we want. We just don't need fourteen clubs in a bag. But again, I still, I think that's still too big. That's too big of a change. I'm trying to think of something that is just so small. You know what? Almost insignificant. I've I've got one that's going to be. I'm pretty sure this is going to really upset some people. But stuff it. I would get rid of starters. Okay. Because. I very seldom listen to what they... Well, they're not at every golf course anyway, as we know. I very seldom listen to what they have to say when they do... Because I'm, I'm busy thinking about other things. I usually have first tee jitters, so I'm thinking about that instead and, Christ, well, I just make contact with the ball. That's that's basically my thought. That's my one-swing thought. So as, as lovely as they are, and they have been, without exception, lovely, I'm like... Can you, can you leave me alone, please? I, I want to be alone with my thoughts and not have anybody observe me as I sclaff it away down the first. They, they tell you, like, the best line here is such and such. You want to, you know, a little five-yard draw off the wind, which is coming in off the left, and that'll leave you about X. Like, mate, I am I honestly... a five-yard draw. I am honestly only concerned with making contact at this point. <laughs> and the one thing I don't want is an audience. If I'm being honest... I would rather have an audience of 200 people than just one guy watching me, <laughs> judging me, thinking, who the hell is this moron that we've allowed on our golf course? And then he just goes back into his hut and probably has a little chuckle to himself as I walk 20 yards to hit my next. It's a, a, it's a horribly intimidating thing to have to deal with a starter, no matter how pleasant they are. So starters, I, I, I do... I don't love you. That's, ex, that's an extreme exaggeration but i appreciate you and i i get that you know some people really like the job you do but frankly i'm i'm scared of you you intimidate me and i'd rather you just went away your head of start there's your headline michael McEwen. i am scared of starters how can i argue with any of that because when i go to a new golf course that i've never played before that's maybe of a certain level that's one of the perks of the job obviously if i'm walking towards the first tee and i see this guy emerge from this little you know, B&Q shed or whatever it is, and he starts walking towards me and he's got one of the bags and the pouches. Honestly, I'm, I'm not kidding. My heart sinks. I'm like, oh, God. Did you have a starter at Augusta? Uh, no, actually. Um, did we? We had a member of the, the Augusta staff, the media staff, and okay. all the rest of the media department were standing at the back. But it was quite, it was just really quite understated. If I want, if there's going to be a starter, I want the full starter experience as well. On the team, yeah. Michael McEwen. But they don't, they just exactly. say, right lads, when you're ready, on you go. Uh, best luck, enjoy your day. Well, my day's already off to a bad start and it can only get better. So that, I just want to get it off the end of the tee. That's all Correct. I want to do. Correct. I'm going to get pelters for that, aren't I? Oh, you absolutely are. Just as well, Wrap you can up. no longer Wrap DM people that aren't following you. Elon Musk got that one right. Perhaps he's against starters as well, and that's where the whole thing stemmed from. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> X marks the spot. 
Indeed, oh, indeed. Anyway, oh. look, Alex, thank you so much for your time for jumping on the call. Much appreciated, right. indeed. Always good fun. It is, it is. Well, I think so. And thank you to you for listening. As I said earlier, make sure you subscribe to ensure you don't miss another episode. Because sometimes phones can be funny like that. They don't give you the update and say, oh, hello, new Bunkered podcast available to listen to now. Some weeks they just forget because Apple, much like Twitter slash X, not a perfect product, ladies and gents. So yeah, subscribe. That's the best way to get them. And thank you to Callaway for their continued support. Please disregard what Alex said about reducing 14 clubs to 10. Make more clubs. Make more. 20, 20 clubs in a bag. Good save. Anyway, thank you so much to everybody for your time. We'll be back again this time next week or who knows, maybe even sooner. But until then, thanks for listening. Bye-bye for now. Thank you.